Welcome to episode 129 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording in beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This episode's sponsor is Prue Real Estate. Should you have any questions about real estate in Jackson Hole, give Dan Vazoski or Greg Prue a call or visit Prue.com. That is P-R-U-G-H.com to search current listings. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephen Clark Abrams, your host. Before I begin this week's episode, I want to say thank you to all of my regular listeners and everybody who has joined up as a new listeners. Ed Freeze, thank you very much for listening each week. Please share this podcast with someone you know. Help us grow and touch other people's lives because my mission is to bring you fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. The people sharing their stories are the same people we see each day walking around town or just in the coffee shop drinking a good cup of coffee. I feel we all have a story to share and I wanna bring you stories which you'll connect with, which will add good energy to your day. Sharing stories allows us all to learn and grow so we may all live full lives. And then P.S. Drop by Jackson Hole Marketplace. Grab something for breakfast or lunch. Fill up that belly. Maybe a bottle of wine or beer to go with your lunch. The sandwiches, that's right, they are badass. And my guest today is Shepard Humphreys, the founder and owner of Jackson Hole Shooting Experience. Shepard has been connected to the Valley since he was 16 years old. And from the time he first arrived, knew deep down Jackson Hole is a special place. Shepard was raised in a single parent home in abject poverty and even wrote a book to provide advice to others who are willing to listen or I guess willing to read about it. Shepard has worn many career hats. He's learned from trial and error. He has experienced wonderful success and has the war wounds of failure to come along with those great successes. Shepard is the guy you wanna be your neighbor not because he owns this Jackson Hole shooting experience, but he's the guy who will carry on a conversation with you on just about any topic. Shepard is the guy who will shoot straight with you and make you feel good about knowing you've just had an honest conversation. Shepard, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your world and your life to sit down and talk with me today. Well, thanks for having me on, Stefan. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. I always love starting off the episode so people can share with the listeners. What is your connection to Jackson Hole? How did you get here? Where are you from? So give us a little bit of background of Shepard Humphreys. That sounds great. Well, back in the day when I was 16 years old, uh, Dolly Parton had me making cotton candy for her at her amusement park uh, in Tennessee, Dollywood. <laughs> and uh, while I was there, uh, we met a couple that had spent some time in Jackson and uh, my mother and I were planning to head out west at some point. And these folks said, hey, make sure if you go, uh, go well, Wes, make sure you go to Jackson Hole and stop by Bubba's Barbecue, where the gal used to be a waitress. And uh, as it turned out, later we did head out west. And our original idea had been to take our horses and literally just make it a, a summer experience of riding from uh Tennessee all the way out. And uh, yeah, that, that, we kind of decided that wouldn't be the smartest thing for us to do. So instead, we we drove out and we wound up instead of going to Gunnison, which was kind of our just 
flip a quarter, maybe we'll end up there place, we wound up coming to Jackson as one of our first places and uh, went to Bubba's Barbecue for for dinner. And uh, we were fortunate enough to be in a financial position at the time that we could live anywhere that we wanted to uh, because we were both worth minimum wage. So by the end of the meal, I had a job as a dishwasher and mom got a job as a maid at Motel 6. And uh, that was kind of our introduction to Jackson. How old were you then? 16 years old. So that is at, wow, not long after you met that couple, you guys hit the road. We were ready. Oh, and I, I prepared for it. I'm not an idiot. I bought a pair of cowboy boots and <laughs> I was ready to come out and be, and I knew it wasn't the, you know, the cowboy thing. I knew I wasn't going to end up with arrows in our legs, but I, I was ready to come out and be a cowboy. And I went out, I believe it was Snake River Ranch. And I went up to Triangle C, I believe. And I, I discovered that you, you couldn't take showers every morning and you had to get up really early and work really hard and get dirty. And you probably wouldn't be riding horses and roping cattle and, and screaming yeehaw. And it just kind of took the sexiness out of it for me when I realized it was going to be on an ATV doing irrigation ditches and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and I'm sure the ranch managers, managers had the same conversation with 50, 16-year-olds that had this dream every year. But uh, yeah, it was kind of the the start. So where did you get that job dishwashing? Was that at Bubba's? That was at Bubba's. Nice. Yes. The but old I'm spot. A, yes, yes. The old building. And uh, and I'm a go-getter. So before you knew it, I was a bus boy. And I think I spent, uh, I don't know, six months or a year there and uh -huh. just I learned so much. And it was actually more about the, the connections. Uh, I met so many people that later had an impact uh, in my life. Uh, you're working for them or just as friends, that kind of thing. And so did you guys, you and your mom stay here in Jackson? We did for quite a while. Uh, okay. I wound up going to uh, Central Wyoming College for a couple of years to get my associate's degree. And uh, I believe that, I think I finished that in 94. And right around that time, my mother moved to Arizona and she lived various places there until her her death. Uh, and so I came back to Jackson just briefly in 94, uh, but I wanted to be the police. So I had uh, been a meter maid in ja or a meter mister in Jackson for, for quite some time. And uh, all the cops here were my buddies. And, and I wondered how to get a start in law enforcement. And they all suggested going to Southern California where the training is better and such. And uh, so in 94, I headed out to California and spent a few years there getting my start in law enforcement uh, before returning. So uh, roughly between 89 and now, I've been in Jackson except for uh, about a three-year stint uh, in Southern California. Cool. And so tell us how long you you ended up being the police. <laughs> I was the police uh, for about seven and a half years here in Jackson and then the couple of years in California. It was just under 10 years uh, grand total uh, that I did that. Cool. And yeah, what was it like of that time frame of your life growing up here in Jackson? Because at that time, it it, it everything changes. It's not like it is now, of course. You've seen a, a lot of crazy changes happen. So what was your experience as this 16 year old to the point that you went to CWC and then becoming police? 
You know, it, it has been quite the change. And I think that I, I got out of law enforcement in uh, I don't know, about 15, 16 years ago. So I think the changes have been even greater in those 15 years compared to the, the 15 before that. The time that I was, I remember the helicopter landing right where the Denny's used to be at the Y. And I mean, those three things that I just said, it's no longer a Y, now it's a plus sign. Mm -hmm. And the Denny's is no longer there. It moved to where the Village Inn was that is now the new Bubba's. And Mm -hmm. the helicopters are no longer landing there where Albertson's and the liquor store now are right in that area. So those changes, kind of the the physical landscape of the place, that has just been so exciting. You know, years ago, you go on vacation for a few weeks and you'd get back and there'd be a new building up and somebody's dream, their dream of being an entrepreneur and providing some new service to to locals or tourists. It had been recognized and they were building it and and charging forward. I I loved those days. Loved it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And and thank you for serving our community in the fashion of being on the police department. Were you in the police department or the sheriff's department? I was in the police department. And frankly, I cost you guys way too much. Um, I, I think I've served the, uh, the people of the area so much better as the windshield doctor, which was a, a business I later had. And then and then now doing a fun activities business. Thank you. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be in the, the free market now. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I understand. And so you and your wife raising a family out here? Tell me about how did you meet your wife? Yes, I met her. Uh, she used to be, I'll just do a little flashback here for locals. Uh, she was the uh, office manager for Buzz Bricka when he was here, Dr. Buzz Bricka. And uh, so kind of met through a mutual friend uh, who's a, on the police department and also knew her and uh, set us up on a blind date. And uh, I got her along with an awesome seven-year-old and nine-year-old daughter all at the same time. And they still have an awesome dad there in Tucson, Arizona. Now he is. So we just had this great combined family. It just worked out beautifully. And uh, yeah. And and so I I met her and we reared our daughters here. And then they went down for a few years uh, to uh, Tucson, Arizona to live with their bio dad there. And uh, yeah, we've been empty nesting now for, oh, I don't even know how long, but a long time. Yeah. And now when you left being um, serving the, um, the public, the of the citizens of, of Jackson Hole in the community. You went into business for yourself. Yes. I would actually say I finally started serving the <laughs> the people when I left law enforcement and started doing that. And I'm not one of these, what do they call the folks that are defund the cops? I'm not one of those people, but I do think that I'm doing so much more good. Uh, the first thing I did was security. Uh, and I had this, this bright idea that I was going to start up a caretaking business and property management business in Jackson. And that as a former cop, former SWAT team member, you can just imagine how busy the SWAT team is in Jackson. Uh, with, so with this huge depth of experience, everybody was going to want to pay me so much more uh, to come out and be a caretaker for their house and do do property checks and such. And uh, 
boy, oh boy, was that one of the best experiences of my life. I spent 10 months. Fortunately, my wife, Lynn, supported me during that time, supported our family financially, uh, while I completely and utterly failed that business. Uh, that just completely flopped. And I learned so much about marketing and what works and what doesn't. Uh, and so I, I continued after that, uh, trying to make the, the business more popular, I continued doing executive protection, bodyguarding and security consulting, but on a very part-time basis. It certainly wasn't a, a full-time business. And then my next step was uh, purchasing the windshield doctor from Ken Marinsic, who had had it for many years. His dad had had it before him. And so I was the next step in that journey. And uh, I think I had the windshield doctor for Oh, four or five years, I believe, something like that. The last couple seasons, I, I hired managers to handle it during the busy season uh, after after we started up our primary business now. I just didn't have time to fix windshields anymore. So, yeah, that was kind of the, the bunch of steps that I took after uh, working for the government. And so let's get into what you do now, because I think it is just cool as all get out. <laughs> Oh, it is so much fun. It is so much fun. Yeah. And, and we're fortunately, well, so I go up, I have a buddy that I met 12 years ago or so. And he, he retired from Chicago and had inherited his father's guns. And he says, I have no, I'm from Chicago. I have no idea how to use a gun. Will you show me how these all work? And so we went up into the Grovant and I showed him how the guns worked. And at the end of our little couple hours there, he said, this is really fun. You ought to start a business up teaching city slickers how to shoot guns. And so that was kind of the the beginning of the idea. That was 2009. So in 2010, I went out uh, to a local family's ranch and they said, yeah, it's a, a crazy idea. It'll never work. But yeah, feel free to go use the back 40 and and bring tourists out and do target shooting. And so I started out with one of those old, uh, what do they call it, the Mexican blankets with the stripes and the zigzags on it. I'd lay that on the ground and two or three guns on top of it and hung a few uh, targets just cheap old scrap pieces of metal and some paper targets. And we started shooting guns and everybody loved it. And so each year, uh, the Jackson Hole Gun Club recruited us to come and, and do our activities with them. And so we have been doing that. This is our uh, 11th season now of essentially providing this vacation activity for people, uh, which is coming out and shooting guns. And there's there's more to it than just shooting guns. Somebody's got to go to your website. What's and share with everybody the name of your business. The name of the business is the Jackson Hole Shooting Experience. And really, what we are about, we do archery and throwing tomahawks and and uh, some serious instruction as well. But really, the the bread and butter of what we do is just helping people have a good time together and. One of my big hobbies is interpersonal relationships, uh, just how people get along with each other, psychology. I, I've kind of even been pretty darn interested in neurolinguistic programming, NLP. So I've incorporated a lot of that into how our coaches talk to people. And so we really watch for things. We, we kind of uh, stereotype our, our guests and we say, you know, it looks like this 14-year-old kid is kind of insecure and is looking for dad's approval. So how can we organize the afternoon so that 
this kid looks really good to the dad. And maybe for the first time in years, they are looking in each other's eyes and high-fiving and caring about each other. And what does the mother need? And what does the other person need? And how do we bring this family together during this experience? And the guns are kind of a secondary thing. We, we talk to the coaches and say, if we show up and we don't have the guns and we have a rope and a hammer, we can make a family have a great time for three hours. <laughs> I love it, Shepard. I love it. And how many guns is in, are you able to share how many guns are in your stockpile that people can select from? Well, the joke uh, uh, among we redneck gun folks, if you can count them, you don't have enough. Um, <laughs> we have a bit under a hundred. Um, a number of them are shotguns. So when we do clay shooting experiences, we bring those out and then our primary experience, I would say 95 plus percent of our business is our multi-gun rifle and pistol experience. And so we have about 70 or so guns that are part of that experience. And then we also have a an extreme long range shooting uh, branch to our business. And then we have a handful of rifles for going out a really, really, really long way with that's those. longer than the extreme long range. So kind of the way it's broken down, and I should know this because we have a book coming out next month uh, on extreme long range shooting, but essentially the breakdown is if you're shooting from out to maybe five or 600 yards, that's kind of considered mid range shooting out to 1200 yards is long range shooting, then going out to about 1800 yards, which is just a bit over a mile is extreme long range shooting. And then beyond that is called extended ELR, ELR being extreme long range shooting. So when we're going out a long, long way, it's extended extreme long range. Shoot over a mile distance. We were so proud last summer, one of our clients became the third person in human history to hit a target at over three miles. No way. The bullet was in the air for 13 seconds. Whew. Yeah, it's 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 fun stuff. I've never hit a target that far. I haven't even gone half that far. But uh, that's kind of what we as instructors, we're not uh, kind of when we hire new new coaches, we're not looking for people that are great shooters. Uh -huh. We're looking for people, people. Uh, we can teach the shooting part. Uh, we're looking for people, people. So, yeah, we're, we're more about teaching than when we than we are shooting. Going back to that three mile shot. <laughs> yes. And you're able to do this on, on a ranch? Yes. We go up into the Pinedale area. We have a number of ranches there that people let us shoot on their ranches. Uh -huh. And so we'll set up temporary targets. And uh, it's kind of like hunting, except I think I might be the only person in Wyoming that doesn't hunt. I just don't want to kill anything. I'm a little bit of a softy. Uh, so what we hunt are just instead of... Uh, critter targets or mammal targets we hunt steel targets and so uh you just set up a target way 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 out there and then figure out what the wind is doing to it and there are times that we're aiming 30 feet 40 feet to the right or left of a target because that's how far the wind is blowing the bullet no kidding the time it gets there yes huh and i'm just really intrigued about you know this distance like what is like, how flat is the terrain? I mean, how do they see the target at such a diff distance to know? 
And then are there formulas that they're using to calculate where to position the gun? Like how, how does this yes. work, Shepard? Isn't that just interesting stuff? It is so far beyond me. And and because I'm not a mathy kind of person, but I've had to kind of figure some of it out to make it work. So, yes, let's just take, for example, let's take all of the people out of the way. The town of Jackson has vacated for a bit. And how tall is Snow King Mountain? Isn't it about 2,000 feet or so Sounds above the valley right. floor? Yeah. yeah. So imagine backing up so that you are uh, three miles back from the base of Snow King. Okay. You would point the barrel of your rifle toward the very top of the mountain, the trees at the very crest of the mountain. That's where you would aim. And then the, the so you're essentially, imagine throwing a, a ball in an arc. You're throwing mm -hmm. the bullet in an arc. And that is how far above the target we had to aim was just over 2000 feet. And that is how much it dropped. So it would have hit the tin can at the base of Snow King Mountain aiming at the top of the mountain and aiming way off to the side a long way. So how this is calculated, it, it all comes down to uh, th there are these formulas. It's, it's how fast the bullet is traveling. It's how heavy the bullet is. So imagine a golf ball and a ping pong ball. If you threw them both at the same angle with the same amount of force, the ping pong ball is going to drop much sooner because it's lighter than the golf ball. So the golf ball will go further, but the golf ball is not the perfect shape of an instrument. If you're a thing, the, a projectile that you want to have traveling through the air, a spear is a better shape than a golf ball. All else being equal, it will fly better, which is why we don't, you know, a paper airplane will go further than the, the same piece of paper wadded up in a circle. So mm -hmm. that has more to do with the ballistic coefficient, the aerodynamics of the, the bullet. And so that, that all goes into the ballistic coefficient, and then there's the weight, and then there is how fast can we get that bullet going. And the heavier and faster the bullet is going, the more kickback or the more recoil that you're going to feel. So there kind of comes a point that you have to mount the the gun on a ship or a boat, or a, yeah, I already said that, a ship or a, a vehicle or something like that in order to absorb all of that recoil. So that kind of gets into artillery. So what we do definitely isn't artillery, but it's kind of pushing the borders of the limits of that, we go back and everything we do is a rifle that the front of it is, is leaning on some bipods. And then the back, we have a little pad that we put under the back and it's against our shoulder when we shoot. And some of them have a lot of recoil. If, if we're only going a mile, those guns don't have that much recoil. But when we're going beyond that, then they start to have more of the kick of a hunting rifle, the typical hunting rifle. Fascinating. So yeah, there is a lot to it. And, and the part of the challenge is explaining this in a short amount of time. And uh -huh. our specialty has kind of been uh, teaching people who might not want to know all of the deep, deep details. And so people will frequently look at our business and say, oh, it must be a shooting instruction business. Well, kind of, but just like the family that goes whitewater rafting down the Snake River in the summer, they're not really trying to learn how to understand currents and the best angle at which they should hold a paddle and, and how to use their back. It's more of just the experience of it. And so it really became a challenge turning this into one of the most challenging things. Like the people who have hit over a mile, 
there are less than probably three or 4,000 people in the history of the world that have done that. And there have been many more people who have summited Mount Everest. So mm-hmm. this is a very niche thing and it's a very complicated thing. So kind of trying to be the, the brains and the muscle behind it so that someone can have a turnkey, easy experience. It will teach as much as they want to know. Uh, but that's been the the fun challenge that we like to think we're doing a good job of, and so now we're that's we're turning that into a book, uh, so we can hopefully help people. We're we're very expensive, so we're trying to make it accessible to people who can't travel to Jackson, and uh, they can study it at, at home in Missouri. I, I love it. I love it. I want to hear more about your book and some of these percentages and how many of your clients are hitting those. We're going to take a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. When you're thinking about making a real estate decision, it's important to go with someone you can trust. Recently, I trusted Dan Vazoski at Pru Real Estate to personally handle a real estate transaction. The service and attention I received demonstrated I'm important, which made me feel really comfortable. Greg Pru started Pru Real Estate in 2002 with you the customer in mind. Give Greg or Dan a call at 307-733-9888 or visit pru.com. That's P-R-U-G-H.com to connect today. Let them know you heard about them from Stefan. That's me, the podcast guy. Chef, welcome back. You were just talking and telling me about your experience and what the Jackson Hole shooting experience is about, some long range shooting. and, And you're coming out with a book. And I had no idea that you're coming out with a book. Are you prepared to share the title of the book with us? Oh, I wish I was, Stefan. I tell you, I, I'm just getting into this book writing thing. I published my first one last year, which didn't have anything to do with shooting. Harsh advice for the unemployed guy. And I just noticed there were a lot of problems with, with folks that weren't doing the great at making the most of themselves. And so I, I first I wrote and published that book and learned so much from it. And so now this book is a, a more in-depth, serious book about a technical matter. And oh, am I ever falling down and learning through the the school of hard knocks. And the reason I say all of that is we have now had about seven or eight titles that were absolute last title. We finally settled on it. This is what it's going to be. And yet we're, we're realizing, well, no, that title isn't quite perfect. There's a difference between a a guide and a handbook, but we do have a website and that's longrangebook.com. And whatever we do end up naming the book, uh, we'll have it on that website. And it'll change again, probably. And how can somebody find your first book if, if they want to read? It's that on book? Amazon. It's on Amazon. Is it a self-published book on Amazon? Yes. Okay. And will this book be a self-published book on Amazon as well? Yes. Good for yes. you. I mean, you talk about the low percentages of people that hit over a mile and then the super low percentages of people that hit over three mile shooting. Also think about the low percentage of people that say, I'd like to, I'm going to write a book and then actually do write it. You know, and that's something that I love about life. And I hadn't had a name put on it until recently I wrote the book, uh, read the book by Scott Adams, the guy that did the Dilbert comic. Uh And he called it talent stacking. And I love that idea of how many people are there out there who can... I don't know, hit a target at a thousand yards with a rifle. Well, there are probably a hundred thousand people that can, can do that. How many of those also know how to ride a motorcycle? 
How many of those also know how to ride a horse? How many of those also, uh, and just kind of stacking these different expertise, and I'm certainly a generalist. Uh, I, you know, I, I have had so many different jobs in my life from being an assistant taxidermist for Ross Berlin, back where the gun barrel is now. Uh, oh, I was yeah. an assistant, tax, uh, assistant taxidermist there. I worked for the radio station as a security guy in a, a spot mixer back at when they were at uh, the base of Snow King. Um, I, and I've just done so many different things, saddle repair, leather repair. Um, I was a janitor for about 12 years while I was a cop. I, I, I've just done so many different things and, and I'm not great at any of them, but I love putting them all together in fun little uh, mixtures uh, and seeing what I can create out of it. You, you know, compared to me being somebody who shoots, you'd be an expert. <laughs> well, and the true definition of an expert is somebody who lives more than 50 miles away and has a briefcase. <laughs> so uh, to some people, I guess I am an expert, but no, I'm, I, I have to be very humble about it. Many of the people that are into this, this extreme long range shooting, they're all engineers and pilots and people that are really mathy kind of people. And I kept, when I went on and got my bachelor's degree, I mean, I got so lucky that I could take a, I think I took statistics or economics or something. I took enough of those classes that I didn't have to do even algebra. And that's kind of part of the reason I think college is a silly idea for 80% of people now is I didn't care about any of that. And I didn't have a real reason to care. But now when I think, huh, if, if we can figure out a way to get this bullet to go over there and hit that piece of metal, we're going to make somebody's day and they're going to pay us well for it. Well, now I have the motivation to go out and learn some things. And, mm -hmm. and the truth is for the long range shooting, I'm just kind of the, the, the conductor. I'm not the brilliant musician. Uh, my partner in the business is Scott Austin, a longtime local guy. And his main gig is uh, he's an administrator at the Jackson Hole Bible College. So that's his main thing. He just has a passion for long range shooting and for helping families have fun in the sport. And so he's the true brains and math uh, behind the whole operation. I constantly have to turn to him. Shepard, I'm glad you just said a, a, a specific word. And, and I'm also thrilled that, and I love the name of your business as well. And the word that you just said was sport. And yes. I feel that a lot of people don't associate with what you do as sport. But it is, it is classified as a sport because it does take, and let's go back to the definition or, you know, the using the moniker of, of um, expert, it does take us not necessarily always expertise, but it takes a certain amount of talent. And when you get into sports, it takes a certain amount of talent and you refine talent by practice. Yes, 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 indeed. And, and, you know, I do look at the whole, the shooting that we do, I look at it as a sport. And, you know, I think about the poor folks, that, you know, for us, poor us, years ago, if somebody in, in who was into lacrosse, if somebody took a lacrosse bat or stick or club or whatever they call those things that they swing and started hitting everybody over the head and they started calling that sporting implement a weapon, the poor people who are really into lacrosse are like, no, it's not a weapon. It's a it's a throwing stick club thingy. Um, and so that's kind of how I feel is, is people will say, how many weapons do you have? And I well, none. Uh, they could be used as that, but everything we use are just sporting implements. Uh, and so it's sometimes I forget that many people do 
look at the particular sporting implement that we specialize in and and have some bias against it. And I, I forget that so often because to me, it's just a, yeah, got to be really careful when I drive my car or ride my motorcycle or shoot my guns or ride my ATV. I got to be careful. I could get myself hurt. I'm going to be really responsible with these things. Yeah, so true. So true. Not all um, items that shoot bullets are weapons. Um, and we can all be more mindful of how we use words to describe whatever implement is out there. Yeah. And we're so fortunate being in Jackson with the diverse population demographics we have here. It's so much different than many places. I love being at the shooting range and I'll see someone who would, if you, if you said to them, Hey, what are your political leanings? They'd probably say, well, I'm the biggest bleeding heart, liberal uh, tree hugging dude you can think of. And you look at the person at the bench next to them and they're wearing camouflage and they drove up in a, a truck with a Cheney bumper sticker. And these two people who come from supposed opposite ends of the political spectrum are just having a good old time with each other. And, and Hey, what, what are you shooting there? And just being good old friends, enjoying the, the sport that they enjoy. So I, I love watching the dynamics at the range. Yeah. I, I personally don't own a gun. Um, I used to shoot with, when I'd go visit my dad, um, he would take my brother and I to the shooting range because he, he enjoyed guns. He always enjoyed having guns for some reason. It just hasn't spoken to me, but yep. I also respect people's right to own the gun and and to enjoy their recreation with with that gun as well um and and like you yes it we all have to have mutual respect for each other yeah and we never during our experiences uh, every so often someone will try to engage us in a political discussion about guns and we're just we're not interested in it because the stereotypical shooting instructor is going to you know while you're there is going to start preaching about the u.s government's second amendment and the nra or the jews for the preservation of firearms ownership or one of those organizations they're going to start spieling about oh you got to join this and if you don't you don't care or love america's and we just that is absolutely for we don't forbid our clients from speaking about it, but we do not touch mm -hmm. that topic. Everybody has such wide ideas, widely varied ideas that mm -hmm. uh, yeah, let's just let's just have a good old day today. Sure. Well, you're there for the experience. Yes. And, and yes. you can have the right experience when you take away a lot of the unnecessary chatter. For yes. Sure. Yes. Um, I, I want to ask a question and have you. Hopefully you'll share um, about this. It's it's very interesting. You do not enjoy speaking on the phone. Um, Correct. <laughs> somehow with, you picked up on that. <laughs> for, for you to communicate, it is via email, texting, um, like a Facebook messenger. Or in person. I love in person. Oh, I love it. Nothing will ever replace in person. Amen. In person is Amen. the top one there. I'm I'm very curious of how this came about and how does it work for you and, and your customers, your clients, does it take an adjustment for them to be able to communicate with you? Because <laughs> well, actually, I, 
I think I was on the phone so much in some of my previous businesses that I owned uh-huh. that I, I just, I grew weary of it. And I absolutely will cheerfully speak on the phone when necessary for the business. But mm-hmm. fortunately for the past few years, we've had a wonderful crew of booking gurus who that's what they do is they answer the phone and they speak with clients. And so we're absolutely available by email or phone call or any other medium. It's just, I've worked very hard to kind of insulate myself from those phone calls and would much prefer Zoom or uh, pretty much anything except a phone call. I I have trouble hearing and it pushes against my ear and it hurts. Poor me. (laughs) I don't know, but just over the years, I've come to dislike it a bit. (laughs) I understand the, the dislike and I totally respect that. And, and I'm glad that you have the resources and, and the support in, in your business to still keep things going. It's just for you, that is not your chosen choice of, of communicating. Correct. And I still, I look at, I love, I'm one of my hobbies is macroeconomics, uh, specifically Austrian economics. And so I look at the, the, the market and that's kind of the solution here. If you're doing something for me, uh-huh. like paying me money for me to do something for you, I am in that case, you are my boss. I am your servant and I will communicate however you want. If I am doing something for you, if you just want advice on the, the best motorcycle to buy. I've mentioned motorcycles now three times and I've only ridden one twice in the last year. That's this cockeyed. I don't know why I keep using that as an example. I guess I'm itching for summer here, but if you, if you want to ask advice about something like that and we're just doing it as buddies as a favor, then I would much prefer any medium other than telephone, but I completely get that the, uh, the person who's paying me to talk, they absolutely have a right to communicate however they want. And we will make that happen. And, and look at today's technology, all the other resources. Like you said, you're happy to talk on Zoom. Yes. Um, and there's so many different ways to communicate. Yeah, I can put my mushy headphones on and, and I can actually hear and the call doesn't break up every eighth of a second in little crackly things and mm-hmm. Bluetooth that the other person is on and I can't hear. And yeah, I, I, I love that technology is hopefully solving some of these issues. You know, the funny thing about this is one thing that, we know that people would not be able to accuse you of is, is driving and talking on the phone at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. I have a very good uh, defense. If I ever get busted by the popo, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Look at my Facebook. I look at my profile picture. It says, do not call me. (laughs) That'll be my, that'll be my defense. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's worthy. worthy. (laughs) So, Help me understand more about the shooting experience. Is this a year round activity that you're able to offer to people visiting here in Jackson Hole or even locals? It's, it, it's pay to play. So anybody that wants to do it, no matter where you're from, you can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, today we have a, our signature multi-gun experience. We have one of those going on and we also have a private pistol lesson going on. Uh, So yeah, we do go year round and um, we're much busier during Jackson's crazy busy times, Uh, but we do stay open year round. And so we're a good alternative in October, November when a lot of other places are closed and uh, the 
tourists then that what I remember back in the old days, they were called the newlyweds and nearly deads are the only people that are here this time of the year. So wow. people who travel at, uh, I'll, I'll use a more politically correct term, people who travel at, at different times of the year yes. were, were available to them as well. And so uh, it's certainly more comfortable in the summer. What we find in the winter is that if Bubba comes up from Houston and Bubba has a, a weekend ranch with 200 of his own guns, he doesn't want to shoot in Jackson at five degrees. It's just, it's miserable. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, somebody from the UK who has is 45 years old and has always dreamed of touching a real gun and has read every magazine and every book they can lay their hands on their whole life. And they have the means to travel to the U S once every 20 years. Well, to them, it's very worth coming out when it's cold in shooting. So we kind of leave it up to the people. And there's a there's a little warming closet there. And we have the patio heaters um, mm -hmm. to help make it more comfortable. But primarily summer is our, our main business. Do you go out rain or shine? We do. We do. There's a covering. Everything's outdoors, but uh -huh. there's an overhead covering. So that lets us shoot in any kind of weather. That's fabulous. Yeah. And going back to the visitor from the UK, is their desire to to hold and shoot that gun because they don't have the same access to to guns in the UK as we do here in the US? Yes, I, I uh -huh. think that's a big part of it is is I think a lot of people have an interest in firearms. Uh -huh. I know as a kid, I had an interest in having a little cap gun or and then a 22 caliber rifle. Of course, my mom would never let me have toy guns because there was too much of a, a tendency to point them at other people. And she just didn't want me to grow up and be a violent person like that. And so I never had toy guns. And it's something I actually now carry on. I would never want somebody to, like, I think a squirt gun is horrible. I think a, a cap gun or, or the Nerf gun, it's horrible. That's teaching violent tendencies. I would so much rather have a little child under close supervision mm -hmm. shooting a real gun at a target and showing them we don't point at other people we point only at targets uh, and i and i've drifted away from uh where i i started out here and i apologize for that but i i'm just so passionate about that idea that i, I had to go off on a little segue so yeah the the person from the uk has the same interest that the little boy in tennessee had uh, when i was growing up except they were never able to actually experience that mm -hmm. and so now they finally have a chance to shoot 10 or 15 or 20 different guns over the course of three hours and see what it's actually like and oh wow that that doesn't have as much recoil as i thought it would or oh that one has way more than i thought so it's just mm -hmm. kind of a, a good introductory experience cool i appreciate your perspective about the water gun and nerf guns those things as far as the difference of of what it teaches for the use use of a gun um, yeah, that's that's really really interesting it's interesting for us watching the site the and i wouldn't say psychology maybe the, the different demographics of people mm -hmm. if a family comes out from a, a farm in iowa that's their that's their lifestyle and that child sees one of our plastic guns that we use just for demonstration and it's very obviously not a real gun but it's it's laying on the shooting bench and if we have turned it so that it's sideways slightly instead of pointing directly downrange, that kid will gingerly reach down because they have a bunch of guns at their own house that kid will reach down and gingerly position the gun so that it's safely aimed downrange. 
because they've learned to have this respect for guns. If, on the other hand, we have a family who has never liked the idea of guns, they're only giving it a try because they're out West and it's a Western thing. And, but they, they're fine with their kids playing these violent, bloody, horrific video games. That kid will see the same gun laying there. Everybody knows it's not real. That kid will pick it up and start pointing it at their parents and going, bang, 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 gotcha. Because oh. it's just a big game to them. And mm. they don't realize the seriousness uh, behind it. So it's mm-hmm. it's been very interesting as a social scientist. It's been interesting to watch the different demographics and how people react to things. Yeah, that is that's very, very interesting. Well, Chip, I've I've loved sitting here talking with you today. And congratulations on the first book. I didn't know you wrote the the first book. I'm very interested to to take a look at that. I'm sure you've sold thousands and thousands of copies of it. Um, and you'll probably sell more thousands of copies now that you're on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I will double my sales now. To, and there will be three books sold in the last four years. That's uh, right. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Stefan. It was fun chatting yeah. with neighbors. And uh, yeah, it's been a long time since we were hanging out at Rotary Club years ago, huh? Yeah, it has been a long time. If people want to reach out and contact you. Uh, <laughs> oh, just call the- me. I love it. <laughs> Uh, share with somebody your website and if you want them to have an email address um, or uh, how they can connect with you via your website. Absolutely. Our website is shoot in JH, not shooting, but shoot in JH.com. And uh, my email, I am also, I've learned to do web development and such. I, I'm also the web guy. So you don't even have to spell my name right. Uh, Shepherd at shoot in And if you spell it wrong, it'll get to me anyway. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Any uh, words of wisdom that you want to leave the listeners with today, Shep? Just let's all be nice to each other and let's have good, deep reason and logic-based fun arguments. If anybody ever wants to argue with me about something, that is my biggest hobby. It's way bigger than even shooting. So if anybody ever wants to argue about something, I love nothing more. We'll we'll grab a couple uh, vanilla porters and have a good old time with that. Fabulous. I love it. I thank you for for offering that as well, because we do need more deep conversations and willing to argue and then still share a beer afterwards. Absolutely. And dirt. That's right. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you, Shepard. You be well. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. To learn more about Shepard in his book and Jackson Hole shooting experience, visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 129. Thank you to everybody who helps keep this on the air. All of those listeners, Michael Morey, who edits and markets this podcast, my wife, Laura, my boys, Lewis and William, my brother, Joshua and Richie, all of you that listen each week. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.